Yes, welcome to Home Studio Q&A here on Studio Live today. This is our weekly show all about home, mobile, studios, garage bands, questions, compressions, a whole bunch of stuff. If it's your first time here, my name is Pete and this is Studio Live today where my goal is to help you create, record and release your best music. And I do that through tips and tricks and tutorial videos and live shows just like this one. If it's that sounds like your kind of bag, consider subscribing, but wait till the end. Don't you hate it when people tell you to subscribe before you've actually watched a video? And you're like, hang on, what if I hate it? What if you suck? Well, hopefully we won't suck here today. Hopefully we're going to get some good information, help answer your questions. And the beautiful part is, it's not just me. It's not just one dude's opinion. It is the whole community here. We've got folks here live on YouTube and on Facebook, and they'll be joining in and probably answering all of the really uh, difficult questions, because I can answer the easy ones, and then I'll get the community to answer the more difficult ones. We will jump in to the main show shortly. But first of all, we have a feature topic every week, and this week's feature topic is everyone's favorite, compression. Yes, there's our little compression diagram. We'll show you that in a moment. Uh, for those listening on the podcast, uh, we do have some visual aids. You can jump over to the channel. Just go to watch.studiolivetoday.com and check out the live shows if you want to see the video version. But I will try to explain it in audio terms as much as possible as well. So what is compression? Compression is actually reducing the overall volume of your audio by squashing down the peaks. So if you imagine a sound that has lots of peaks, what compression actually does is it pushes down from the top and then there's something called makeup gain that pulls everything back up. So instead of having very peaky audio, you have audio with a flatter top, but it doesn't go down as low. It's pretty much as simple as that because the confusing thing is people think compression and they think things like zip files, like file compression. Audio compression doesn't have anything to do with file compression. It's a different beast. So in terms of audio compression, what you're basically doing is compressing the peaks. That's why it's called compression. You compress the top of the audio and then you bring up the rest of the audio so that you have a more consistent level. Now, this is good for things like vocals, things like guitars, any sort of dynamic instrument. And yes, your vocals are an instrument where you are battling that constant battle of trying to get an even performance. So if I'm singing like this and then I sing like this and then I sing like this and then I sing like this, a compressor is going to grab those louder parts and bring them down a little bit, and then we pull everything back up, and then you get it uh, at a nice level. Now, you can over-compress. You can do, do what we call squashing or uh, over-limiting your audio, and that means you remove any dynamic range. And the, the full name of compression is dynamic range compression, because what you are actually doing is compressing your dynamic range. So you are making the louder parts actually less loud, but then what you're doing is you're bringing the quieter parts up. So instead of having a big variance between your loud and you're soft, which you do want in music, you do want some dynamic range, you have much less variance between loud and soft. That's the explanatory stuff. If you are more a visual person, let's jump into a couple of uh, explanations here and a couple of charts. Now, this is just at Wikipedia. I, I recommend Wikipedia for a lot of things. If you search dynamic range compression on Wikipedia and read that article, that's, that's the best way. Like you can watch videos and you can listen to other people's explanation. But if you want to dive in, if you're like me and you're a nerd and you like the detail, jump into the Wikipedia article. It's one of the better written articles uh, on Wikipedia. And and there's a bunch of information in there, but what I like is these charts because these really helped me start understanding what compression was all about. Because there's a bunch of things that you need to, to understand. One is the threshold and one is the ratio. We'll talk attack and release in a moment, but the threshold is a ratio of how much compression you're going to get when you add a compressor. The threshold is at what volume it actually starts doing that. So you can see on this chart here, we've got output level on the left, we've got input level on the bottom there, on the x-axis and the y-axis, if you like. And as volume goes up here through the middle, this is your standard volume, as you bring the threshold down, it will start compressing. But how much it compresses is based on what ratio? So a ratio of one to one is no compression. So you can see there, it doesn't matter where you put your threshold, and if you, I'll show you this in GarageBand in a minute, doesn't matter where you put your threshold, right down the bottom or right up the top, nothing will happen because it is not compressing. It's a one-to-one -one ratio. If you add a two-to-one ratio, that means it compresses halfway there. So you can see there that from flattened out, 
which is the infinity we'll talk about in a minute, it goes to that, to two to one ratio. You go to a four to one ratio, it means it brings it down four times as much towards that flat. And then at infinity, which is also called a limiter or a brick wall limiter, it completely flattens that out. So when you bring the threshold down, it will crush off all of the peaks. And that's important to know because you want to use different ratios of compression for different purposes. For your vocals, you may want to use some light compression, two to one, four to one. You want to really crush that kick drum or snare. Maybe you want to go an eight to one or a 10 to one or even an infinite compression, which is your limiting. So that's the basic explanation of what's going on with a compressor. Let's take a look at some more things. Now, this one gets a little bit more detailed. And this one's explaining more of the attack and the release time. The way you can look at this and, and go into this in more detail if you want in your own time. But the way to think about it is the attack is when, how long should it wait before it compresses? So a very fast attack time means it will, as soon as it goes over a certain level, over your threshold level, it will compress. So if it's like a, a half, like a zero millisecond, means compression is going to kick in the second the compressor detects that your volume has gone over the threshold. A longer attack time means it'll give a bit of leeway. So if you want to make sure, so this this is good for mastering if you want a bit of leeway between when it goes over so say you have a little tiny peak that goes over you may not want your compressor to get excited and suddenly start compressing you may want it to give a little bit of space so maybe you put in a, a half a second like 500 milliseconds or maybe even just like 100 milliseconds to have a slower really a slower attack time release time is the exact opposite of that once it starts compressing how quickly will it stop because remember, a compressor is just monitoring your audio over time. As soon as it goes over that level, the compressor kicks in at whatever threshold and ratio you've set. And based on your attack settings is how quickly it actually starts. Based on your release settings, if you have a fast release, as soon as that audio level drops again, it goes away. If you have a longer, slower release, it will keep pumping it, keep pushing it up there for a longer period of time in case the audio goes back up again. So again, these are just things to experiment with. Faster or slower attack time, faster or slower release time. Experiment, play, have fun with your compression. Let's look at this next one because knee is something that comes up. So it's another thing. I won't spend much time on this because honestly, I don't really ever use knee settings when it comes to compressors. But this just shows the difference between a hard knee where it goes straight up to there and straight across and a soft knee, which basically just softens that compression you can see over there. So yeah, do you need to change the knee setting? Probably not. But if you do and you want to learn about knees, <laughs> you can check it out there. And this one is really fascinating. So this is is showing the effects of compression or more correctly limiting on a song. Now this is the song Something by the Beatles and this is showing the different masters between 19, when was the first one? 1983 to 1987 to 1993 to 2000. And this is showing, this is a good visual indication of what compression is doing. So if we look at the difference there, the, the first one there's, it's, it's really low there and it doesn't have any sort of range. By 1993, I'd, I'd say that that's kind of a really good level of compression. You can see there we've still got a heap of dynamic range between the quiet and the soft parts, but it's not going over the top. If you look at that 2000 one that keeps flopping up there, see how it's got those straight bits at the top and the bottom? That means that it's pushing all the way up to maximum volume or what we call zero dB, which is in my view, a little bit overcompressed. For a song like this, for a ballad like something by the Beatles, do you really want it to be that level of compression? Well, that's where we've kind of got to, because around about 2000, something called the Loudness Wars, and yes, we blame you, Metallica, for your album. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it now, but it's, there's a, an album synonymous with being overcompressed. But yeah, that's what's basically been happened. So if you are compressing and if you are compressing your masters or your mixes, keep that in mind that you probably do want to keep something a little bit more like 93 and maybe not quite like 2000. And by the way, that 2000, if you, if you had a 2020 version of most people's songs, it, it, they're what I call sausages. They just go straight across the top. They're just no dynamic range at all. So try not to sausage your stuff uh, because yeah, it, it won't be good. Let's finish up with a quick practical demo, shall we? So we'll jump here into GarageBand with one I prepared earlier. Uh, here we go. 
So I have a vocal here in GarageBand. We'll bring that one up here. Vocal here in GarageBand, and we'll jump in and show you what a compressor actually looks like and sounds like. So if we come in here, you can see we've got the compressor set here. Now, your compressor in GarageBand doesn't actually have a release setting, but it does have a threshold, it has a ratio, and it has an attack setting. This gain is like a makeup gain. So if you, it does have auto makeup gain, which is another thing to keep in mind. As we turn the compression threshold down here, it will automatically turn up the gain. If we want more of it, we can turn it up here on the gain dial. Uh, it goes back to minus four. And the other thing to keep in mind is this mix knob is just how much compression. So if, if you put it 100%, it's going to compress all of the audio. Like most plugins, you can actually reduce the amount of the plugin that's being applied to your audio. So keep that in mind as well. But if we just, we've got this vocal soloed here, let's turn the compressor off first of all. And the vocal sounds a little bit like this. When you open your eyes up. Now, if we want to start compressing this, we turn the compressor on and we just hit play. When you open your eyes up. So it starts getting louder, yeah, because we're starting to remove some of those peaks and troughs. And then if we uh, really compress it, so if we say, like we were showing before, we bring the ratio right back down here. So the compressor's on a lot more often. And when it is on, we bring the ratio up to like a 10 to 1, it means, or 11 to 1, it means it's going to compress it a lot more. Let's take a listen. When you open your eyes up. So you can hear there, it's a lot crispier. It's bringing out a lot more of the audio because it is crushing the top and bringing the rest up. We'll turn it off and then I'll play it and turn it on and you'll hear the difference between non-compressed and compressed audio here on my vocal. When you open your eyes up to the sky above and you see the world. Compressed. There so yeah, and again, we can change the attack if we want it to make sure it kicks in straight away. We can adjust threshold, we can adjust, adjust ratio. Let's just show you, <laughs> we'll go to 30 to 1 with a big thing here. Let's just show you what I mean by sort of over compressing or crushing. If we put this compressor on here and let's merge this track. So merging will actually mix this down to its own stereo track. We'll hit the merge button there. This will just give you a visual indication of what we're talking about when we're talking about compression. Uh, there it is. Oh, it hasn't, it hasn't compressed it as much as I thought it would have. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, I was expecting it to be all crunchy, but I think GarageBand's GarageBand was fighting here because it has some auto-normalization that it kicks in there. So it's trying to protect me from myself. If it wasn't GarageBand, if it was a different kind of DAW, uh, that would just be all completely crushed. So if we take a listen to this one. When you open your eyes up, to the sky above. So it is. it has actually kept in a little bit of the dynamic range. If we undo that one, we'll go back to here. Uh, but yeah, be careful with that because you are, it's very tempting to over compress things if you get excited. And remember, compression can be used. It's your friend. It's a tool, uh, but try, try to keep it on the subtle side. It's very good on all of your different instruments and especially on vocals and guitars and things that have more dynamic range if you want to level and flatten them out a little bit. I hope you found that one useful. Alrighty, let's get into this. Uh, hello to uh, to folks. Jade, <laughs> overslept. Hope you're doing well, Jade. Uh, hello to you. Welcome to the show. Uh, Jim Sim says, I have this completely black backwards. Yeah, it, and this is why I wanted to go through this because I I got it completely backwards when I started with. I, I thought compression was turning the volume up, which it is. But once you understand the concept that it's turning, it's pushing the peaks down and bringing everything else up, I think it really helps. It definitely really helped me with my conceptual understanding of what compression is all about. So there you go. Go away, use compression, use it wisely, enjoy it. Uh, Solrak here says, uh, I do like the sausage compress, but... Uh, but so it's a compressed way, but only if it's done the right way. Like if everything is compressed separately, even drums, everything is separate. Yeah, exactly. So if you are, and there's nothing wrong with having that, especially if you've got a sound that you want to. Something like a sine wave, will uh, you, you may want to compress to the point where it is a sausage, where it's completely flat and it's completely what we'd call over-compressed or limited. And uh, yeah, it's a style choice. But again, if you're using it as a style choice and if you want it in your song to sound that way, that's totally cool. What I see too many people doing is completely crushing. They want it to be like radiate this competitive volume and they completely crush the life out of their mix and master. And then, uh, yeah, it doesn't end up sounding great. I know Jade's been covering that on her How to App series when she's been covering Final Touch. You don't want to just drive up 
that limiter because A, you'll start getting pumping, which is where it's trying to limit and it keeps coming in and out. Uh, and B, it just doesn't sound good. You want to hear the differences. Like you go to the effort of mixing in all of these different sounds, you don't want it to be... You know, you don't want it to just be one messy, big clump of sound. You want to hear the little intricate parts. Anyway, let's move on in here. <clears throat> Once again, uh, if you do have questions and you are here live, please just put question in front of your comment. We'll circle around and answer some live questions a little later in the show. But for now, let's jump into the questions that have come in during the week. And uh, we'll pop those up here on the screen. If you're watching on the replay, by the way, don't worry. We love you just as much. Uh, you can leave your questions down in the comments section. Myself or one of the wonderful Studio Live Today community members will jump on down there and we'll help you out, I am sure. Let's get started here, though. So this is a question uh, from Dave. And Dave says, I've been having lots of problems with iRig guitar sounds. What would you suggest? So I wanted to cover this one because I've been getting this question a lot lately as more and more people get into recording in GarageBand on their iPhone or iPad or even on their Mac or PC and are using things like analog iRig devices. Yeah, these sort of problems are, are happening more often. Let's see if I've uh, if I've got mine handy here. Uh, if I've, yep, I do. No, I don't. All right, I've got this device. So I'll show you this one. Uh, so this is similar to an iRig. It's what I use instead of an iRig if I want an analog interface. It's called the Tascam IXZ or IXZ, depending where in the world you are. There it is there. And this has a guitar input, a combo jack, in fact, guitar and microphone input on the front there. You've got some input volume control. You've got phantom power for your condenser mics there. And the connection is just a three and a half mil headphone jack. So this you can plug into your iPhones and iPads if they're old enough, or you can use a dongle if you uh, are like me and you have a newer iPhone and uh, iPad Pro and you need to convert it to uh, convert it from Lightning or USB-C. So the question here is how do you get a better sound when you're using something like this? Because the problem that you tend to get using an analog device like this is with interference and audio bleed and distortion. So because here's the explanation of this. This is an analog device. So you plug your guitar into this or it's just one of the standard little black iRigs. It's going to take that analog signal and it's going to send it out via this analog plug. And then it's your phone that has to do the analog to digital conversion. So phones and iPads and Macs and PCs all do have uh, a DAD DA and AD converters in them. So digital to analog and analog to digital. That's how they can play digital sounds out via a headphone jack. And that's how they can accept analog sounds and turn them into digital audio. That's how it all works. So when you're using something like this, it's much more susceptible to picking up interference and distortion because it's having to send the analog signal and analog signals are notoriously noisy uh, because especially a smaller device like this that's maybe not shielded as well not as high quality you're going to pick that up you can also pick up from things like the pickups on your guitars so people are like i can't believe it i plugged my guitar in and it's picking up the playback of the audio and I say, yeah, that's because your guitar pickups are little mini microphones. Yeah, they're only supposed to really pick up your strings, but sometimes they pick up loud sounds from around you as well. So using headphones is critical. So make sure you've got headphones plugged in. Even though it feels like you shouldn't have to playing guitar, use headphones. That will reduce the amount of audio bleed. And then if you are having problems with distortion and with feedback, you can use noise gates uh, within GarageBand or whatever you're using. But really, at the end of the day, if you want the best quality, you may want to consider upgrading to a digital interface because the digital interface will plug in instead of via a three and a half mil jack like this one it'll plug in via a lightning or a usb or a usb-c and that's going to give you that that means that this device would be doing the analog to digital conversion and that the ad converters in these well not in this one but in say an irig pro is going to do a lot better job on the fly of guitar processing than your iphone or ipad so that's that's my recommendation there if you looking for better quality, uh, consider updating to a digital interface. I know gear is not always the answer. It shouldn't be the answer all the time. But for this particular one, if you're having a lot of trouble with your recording quality, that may be something to consider. Let's move on to our next question. This one's from Gemini Thug Baby. <laughs> Gemini Thug Baby. There you go. Uh, I have the UR44C, but I wanted to know if I can use the USB-C lightning cable that comes with the iPhone 11 Pro Max charger to connect my UR44C since the UR44C already comes with 12 volt power adapter, or do I specifically need the USB lightning adapter? 
uh, USB-C lightning adapter, USB female to lightning. So uh, yeah, say it along with me, folks. If you are using a lightning-based iPhone or iPad, unfortunately, you do need to use the genuine Apple lightning to USB 3 adapter to get a quality and reliable connection to your iPhone or iPad that uses a lightning connection. If you're using a USB-C-based device and more and more of the iPads now, the new iPad Air 4 that's coming out apparently this month sometime has a USB-C, as does the iPad Pro 2018 and 20. 20 models so if you're using those devices then you can use pretty much any generic adapter in fact the one i can't show you because it's plugged in i'm using a one by cable creation uh, that i'm reviewing at the moment uh, which is actually really good it's got uh, three usb ports sd card reader network hdmi so it's really really cool uh, and you can use them it's non-apple branded so you can use other brands if you have usb-c but for lightning you really are stuck with using that. And I know I've tried it. I've tried every combination. I've tried every OTG cable. I've tried every different converter and connector. I've got a drawer full of them. If you saw my studio tour, you saw a drawer full of little white plastic crap. And I've tried everything so that you don't have to. Because again, if you got, I've said this a bunch of times and I won't overstate it, but if you're using a UR44C, like a $400 interface, you're plugging into an iPhone 11 Pro Max, a $1,000 phone, spend the $40, like buy the Lightning to USB 3 adapter, you might as well. It's going to be the absolute backbone of your entire setup. And it's going to mean that that high quality interface and that high quality recording device are going to work every time seamlessly. So I know, I know I rehash this, but I do get the questions every week. So we answer them every week with the same answer. People, someone, someone put a comment on a video this week that's like, ah, oh, this guy's just made the same video like five different times. And I'm like, yeah, that's because I keep getting the same questions over and over again. And I, I position the answers in slightly different ways in the hope that if anyone is searching for them anywhere, they will find the right answer because there's a bunch of misinformation out there, especially from manufacturers of some of the lower grade gear that perhaps want you to uh, buy their stuff. Let's go on to our next question. So this one is related to, uh, to one of my GarageBand videos. Uh, Tip Too Cool says, okay, so Pete, say you already recorded the song and mix was terrible. You released, but now you want to try a reconstructed, but you don't have the garage file, only the WAV file. Can it be fixed? Maybe you answer the question and hopefully that makes sense what I'm asking. It does. And there's a few things to consider here. If you have the, if you don't have the original GarageBand file, but you do have the original files, so the original stems or track files, then yes, you can grab those stems or track files and bring them into GarageBand. So you've got your, your drums, your bass, your vocals, your guitars, your pianos, etc. It sounds like what you're saying is you've only got the stereo wave file and you want to be able to remix that. That is a much more difficult thing. There are some tools. I've covered them here online. There's one called Melody.ml, I think is the name of the website. I've got a video on it. If you search Pete John's Remove Vocals, because that's what most people want to do. They want to remove vocals from, from their songs. So there's a bunch of different platforms, and there's one like, there's a mastering type one. There's a bunch of them out there where you upload your WAV file, your, your stereo file, and it actually uses some AI algorithm to split out the vocals, the... Now, what does it usually do? It usually does vocals, drums, um, <clears throat> vocals, drums, uh, guitars, and other instruments, or something like that. It can split it out to about four tracks. And it does that through different sort of EQ tweaks and different weird, uh, weird and wonderful things. It doesn't always sound great. Some of the tracks kind of sound like they're underwater because they have to just remove some of the different frequencies to get the different tracks out. So the short answer to this is no, there's no way to extract out original tracks because your multi-track original multi-track file is gone. If it's only a stereo track, all you got is two. You got your left track and your right track. And the only thing you can do is try to isolate out different frequencies using some of those algorithms to try and then remix it. What you can do is remaster it so you can put it into a mastering software, something like Final Touch on your iPad or uh, just GarageBand, and then you can master that. So you can use EQ, you can use compression, you can use any sort of uh, effects that you want on the overall stereo mix. But in terms of mixing the original tracks, no, alas, it can't be done. We'll grab one more question here from the week and then uh, we'll jump back on around. Uh, what the, why do I have this one in here? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know why I took a photo of this one, <clears throat> but apparently when someone wants the latest hack, only a of us, they are the real deal when it comes to this. I don't know why I had this one screenshot. I'm sorry. I think I was just screenshotting it going, I don't understand what this is, but it was just spam. It was a spam comment. Anyway, let's go to another one. Uh, this is how to play the guitar in GarageBand iOS. That was the video, and this is a question from Mr. Bubs. Not our friend Bubba, but Mr. Bubs. Is there a way to go to the higher strings on the touch guitar? So short answer is no. Longer and cooler answer is yes, kinda, but not the highest strings. But you can get to the higher notes. Why don't we give you a quick demonstration of this one by jumping over to GarageBand. Here we are. So if we wanted to add in a guitar, so let's come here, we'll go add, and we'll go instruments, we'll scroll on across, and yes, Jade, I am enjoying my new uh, Magic Keyboard, which you recommended to me. Still don't love, my bank balance still doesn't love the, uh, the $4.99 missing from it, but I do love it. So here we are in the guitar, right? We can play... We can play chords, or you can go to note mode. But here's the problem. What have we got? We've got three, five, seven, nine. We've got ten frets. On your iPhones, you get eight frets. On your larger iPad Pros, you'll get, uh, I think, 12 frets maximum. So the amount of frets you get to play with is based entirely upon the device that you're using. What if you want to get up higher than here, or even... You want to tune down, you want to get lower than the low E. How do you do it? Well, here's how. <clears throat> so if we go back to our uh, go back to our mixer, oh, I've still got this problem where sometimes it just disengages the mouse and you've got to you've got to like uh, try again. Is it still just up oh, there it go? It's back. So here's what we do. We go to the keyboard, we go to more sounds, and we go to our other sounds. So we'll go back to main categories, we'll scroll on down here, we'll go to other, and what you'll notice is under other, we've got all these other sounds, but if we keep scrolling down, we've also got all of our guitars. We've got all of our guitars there. We've got all of these different sounds that we can use here. Uh, so yeah, your guitars, your basses, you can do the same for bass. Anything that has this, the only thing you don't really have is strings. You've got strings like this, but you don't have your individual violin, individual cello, etc., which is a bit of a pain in the butt. But if we wanted to say grab that same classic clean, we can do that. And now... We have it right here on our keyboard. And of course, with the keyboard, let's take off Glissando. We'll go back to our scroll mode. We can scroll all the way up above our C5 to our top G of our piano. And we can go all the way down to C1, which of course is not a note that you have on most guitars. There's your E, there's your low E that you have as the start of a guitar. So, yeah, you can use the keyboard to go to notes that don't actually exist on the guitar or that are higher than you can actually play. And again, you can select your instrument by just tapping in the middle there and changing it up. You want your hard rock guitar? No problem. You got it there. Oh, I'm really not liking the fact that we've got this... Uh, it click 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 it just doesn't just doesn't do it and that's not anything to do with the keyboard that's been a, an ongoing garage band thing so hopefully that helps you out there if you are coming across that limitation and you want more more everyone wants more you want more ability to do more things in garage band that's what you can do let's jump in here and see if we've got any questions from the folks who are here live uh scrolling on up uh <laughs> Yes, Jade says, every iOS studio has the drawer of white plastic crap. Ain't that the truth? I uh, don't think we have any other, any actual questions here. Uh, I'm, I'm answering, I must be answering so well <laughs> that no one's got questions. G'day to Lutch Vegas, who's snuck in here. Hope you are doing well. Uh, no, it's, it's, we've got a surprisingly low volume of questions. We are at, what, episode 48 of this show, so maybe I have just simply answered every possible question <laughs> that I possibly could. Uh, we've got folks uh, considering <clears throat> talking about different interfaces and what they would choose. Uh, as you know, uh, my, my interface of choice is the Steinberg UR22C. I can't show it because I'm using it. It's right here in my setup. Uh, if you saw my studio tour during the week, you'd see how I have everything set up. So yeah, Focusrite make good stuff. Behringer are pretty good. Personas are good. But uh, yeah, Steinberg just do it for me. They have the best balance of price and quality. And uh, yeah, I dig it. All right. 
Uh, quick question here. What's the natural step from GarageBand iOS if you like to grade up GarageBand Mac OS? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I like this one. Uh, I got asked a similar question on Instagram just this morning, which was, hey, if I'm investing in my studio, do I get an iPad Pro or do I get a MacBook? Do I go down the, the computer, the Mac route, or do, do I go down iOS? It really is up to you. <laughs> I know it's a stupid answer to a, to a good question, but it really is up to you and your workflow. So when I started using iOS, I was just sold. I was like, yes, this is my workflow now. And yes, I do cop a little bit of flack from people saying, you realize that for your $2,000 and your $500 for your keyboard, you could have bought a pretty killer laptop for that. I'm like, yeah, totally, 100%, I agree. Uh, it's just that I've had laptops and I've had PCs before and I still have a PC. I'm using one right now to stream. But for music creation, I just love the idea of having a tablet and having the ability to go with me wherever I go and transfer my projects to my phone and then take my phone on the road and do mixing while I walk around. All of those things are the reason why I stick with that. In terms of your question here, what would I go to? Well, I'm in the process of checking out, you would have seen a couple of months ago, I checked out Cubasis and Aurea Pro. So I think if you're using GarageBand, liking the mobile experience, but being limited, buy some of the things that GarageBand can't do, I would check out Cubasis 3 or Aurea Pro. They're both paid apps, both about $50, but if you're investing in your music, uh, that might be a good way to go. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with Mac either. So yeah, a lot of people have done that as well. A lot of people use a combination of both. They use Mac OS and iOS. They use iOS to capture their ideas and then they ship them over to their Mac and then they, they like the, the larger number of options and the more flexibility you have on a Mac. So yeah, uh, it's a good question. I don't have a direct answer for it, but um, yeah, thank you for asking it because I, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good good tom topic of conversation, good conversation starter. Uh, and I'm sure folks here in the chat and in the comments will have their own views and opinions of that as well. Alrighty, uh, let's go back to our questions and see how many more do we have to go here on the show. We've only got three more questions. We could actually be finishing early. I know I'm usually I'm usually running late, but we should be uh, we should be on time if not early here today. I say that and then I'll start ranting in these next questions and spend uh, half an hour on them. But uh, let's uh, let's jump in here. Where's our next one? Here we go. Uh, question here from Greg the Flying Whale. Uh, step right up, ladies and gentlemen, and see Greg, the flying whale. Uh, uh, this was about the Samson Meteor USB Studio condenser microphone. And Greg's question is, but is it worth buying for a beginner singer? Or in this case, a phone microphone can be the same, but to normally record something, I would need a normal condenser microphone. So it's a really good question. What microphone should you start out with? If you are a beginner singer, what do you need to buy? Do you need to go out and get yourself an audio interface and, uh, and a microphone and spend a whole bunch of cash? Or if you're using GarageBand, can you just use the pretty capable microphone right here on your phone? Well, it comes down to use what you got. And I say this a lot. Again, people will criticize me for saying the same thing over and over again. That's because my, my basic opinions on what you should do when it comes to creating haven't changed in the entire time, in the five years I've been doing this channel. And that is that use what you got right now. I've done videos where I've used just my iPad mic and just my iPhone mic, and the audio is pretty good. Once you record it at the right level, at right volume, you add a little EQ and compression to that sucker, like we talked about at the start, it can actually sound pretty darn good. Uh, my song called Things Change, uh, Dan Baker recorded violins just using the built-in mic on his iPhone, and it sounds great. And that's like an iPhone SE from like 2016. Sounds awesome. So yeah, you can definitely get away with that. If you are taking the next step up, and you're a singer, the USB microphone is actually a good in-between step. So if you wanted to spend, say, around the sort of $80 to $100 mark, you can't really get yourself a quality interface and a quality XLR microphone, but you can get yourself a pretty decent quality USB mic like the Samson Meteor. So it is a good in-between, oh, plus the adapter. That, that's the reason why I said under $100, because if you're using an iPhone or iPad, you'll need the Lightning to USB adapter and a USB microphone. So it is a good intermediate step. If you know you're going to be doing this for a long time though, uh, keep in, that in mind because I know a lot of folks get frustrated that they buy a USB microphone and then they're kind of stuck in that universe because you can't use more than one USB microphone. Once you have a USB microphone connected, that is the input and the output of your audio. You can't then add a second USB microphone because your devices only accept one input and output. You need to then convert to 
a multi-channel interface. So if you want to future-proof yourself, get yourself an audio interface and a separate microphone. If you're happy, if you think you only really ever record your vocal, then you can grab yourself a USB mic. But keep that in mind when uh, when you're uh, when you're considering where to go next with your music. But good question. Thanks for asking it. And uh, by the way, if you do want to check out all of the gear that I recommend, you can go over there to studiolivetoday.com/gear. You'll find my complete gear setup. All of the gear that I recommend categorized and linked out to various different places, depending on where you are in the world. And if you do make purchases from there, you'll be helping me out. You'll be helping out the channel because they're all affiliate links. They break off a little chunk and they send it my way. And that's a way you can get new gear and have a warm feeling down in the cockles that you are helping an independent creator continue creating, which is me. So thank you. Uh, now, speaking of my home studio tour, I've mentioned that a couple of times. Uh, question here, what would you recommend for recording vocals and guitar? Shaw SM58 or the Audio-Technica AT2020? Good question. Dynamic versus condenser. I've covered this in a couple of videos. If you search my name, Pete John's Dynamic Condenser, uh, you'll get my different views on this. And there are different views because there is no one answer to this question because a lot of it depends on, on the type of music you're recording and the space you're recording it in. So here's the very quick version. If I had just if I had $100 and I could buy just one microphone, it would be the Audio-Technica AT2020. A condenser, a large diaphragm condenser microphone is just the most flexible microphone that you can have. You can record quieter sources because it picks up a lot of details. You can record louder sources by just getting away from the mic a little bit. And the clarity and the quality of audio you're going to get is going to be the best in that price range. However, yes, the SM58 or SM57, Basically the same capsule. The SM58 just has the ball over the top, so it's more for vocals. And the SM58 SM has the ball. SM57 is the smaller one that doesn't have that, more of an instrument mic. The benefit of a dynamic is you can plug it into anything, doesn't require phantom power. And if you've got a particularly noisy environment, it does a better job of reducing that noise. So this microphone that I'm using here is the Audio-Technica AE3300. It's actually a hybrid. It's a handheld condenser microphone. So it's got a little bit of the best of both worlds. I get the clarity and the crystal clear sound of a condenser mic, it, but it does pick up a little bit more background noise. But because it's a handheld form factor, not a side address like most condensers are, then it actually rejects a little bit more noise. So noisy environment where you need to make sure you're isolating your sound, something like an SM58 could definitely be better. If you've got a reasonably quiet environment and you want the most flexibility and bang for your buck, I would go for the Audio-Technica. Once again, you can, of course, jump over to studiolivetoday.com slash gear and uh, all the links to all the stuff I use and recommend are right there. Let's go. I think this is our last question here. Uh, so this was uh, my iPad mu for music production in 2019-2020 video. And uh, Govind says, a very useful demo and thanks for your efforts. Please tell me, the charging cable supplied with the latest iPad Air 4 2020 has what type of USB on either end of the cable? So it is USB-C. The new uh, Lightning, sorry, the new iPad, iPad Air fourth gen is USB-C, so the same as your iPad Pro 2018 and 2020. Uh, if it is USB-C on both ends, then can this be supplied with the the Air four with a microphone having a USB port? Thanks. Please do reply. I've not only replied already, but I'm mentioning it here on the show. <laughs> so. Let's go through this. Yes, if you are using a an iPad Pro or when it finally comes out, the new iPad Air 4, which has a USB-C connection, yes. If your microphone has USB-C out, like the AKG Lyra that I recently reviewed and a bunch of other newer microphones, then yes, you can plug USB-C to USB-C. Now, most of the microphones actually come with USB-C to USB-A cable because they're expecting you to plug it into a to a laptop or a Mac or a PC, and therefore, it usually ships with that. But you can obviously pick up a USB-C to USB-C cable for like $5, $10 from most, most different office and, and electronic stores, and then plug it directly in. The one thing you need to be aware of is power. Now, I haven't tested it with the iPad Air 4 because it doesn't exist yet, but on the iPad Pros, most of them will run most microphones most of the time. 
And I say most, most, and most because your mileage may vary. I have seen people plug things in only to be saying this device uses too much power. Now, USB-C does a much better job of that as opposed to Lightning. Lightning is notorious for not delivering enough power. That's why I recommend if you're using Lightning-based gear that you use a powered USB hub like I do as the backbone of your studio. That way there's always enough power being pushed to your devices and your iPad or iPhone only has to worry about powering itself and then just accepting the data from those devices. So that's what I would say to that. I think it's still worthwhile. I mean, when I switch to my iPad Pro, I still use a powered USB hub, just a standard USB-A hub, and then the adapter that I connect in via USB-C, just because it means that I can plug in my MIDI keyboard, my audio interface, my mouse and keyboard, anything that I want to, USB flash drives, I've always got a port free to connect some gear and some stuff. But yes, to answer your question, if it's USB-C, which it is, then you can just plug and play as opposed, as opposed to plug and pray that we used to call <laughs> Windows. When Windows first came out with plug and play, it was buggy as all heck. And uh, we would call it plug and pray. Could you just be like, mm, this is probably not going to work. And it would say, no, uh, IRQ conflict. You've already got something on IRQ 7 and DMA channel 1. Oh, who, who misses, sorry, who doesn't miss IRQ? Like installing sound cards in PCs and it's like, no, your modem's using that one. And you're, like, oh, you're swapping PCI slots and you're going into your autoexec.bat and your config.sys. Oh, yeah, my, where are my nerds at? Where are my PC nerds? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Alrighty, let's, uh, let's come back up and we'll see if we got uh, any questions before we finish up the show. I think I saw... I think I saw a question up the top here. Uh, I did see this comment here. Uh, thank you, uh, Cap Cap Capsulam. <laughs> Sorry for the pronunciation of names. I published my first song on DistroKid yesterday, a song made only on GB iOS. Thanks for teaching me so much about GarageBand. Couldn't have done it without you. Well, thank you. Uh, that makes me feel warm in the cockles because uh, more music in the world is a good thing. It is 100% my goal here on the channel. It's not just something I say at the very start of every show. It's something that I truly believe in and try to do. Question here from Eve says, I have the JBL 308P Mark II Series 3 monitors too. Uh, and the vent hole is on the back. What distance, uh, what distance should I put uh, the monitors from the wall? So if you saw my studio tour, you, you would have seen that I have my speakers placed really badly. Um, uh, and yeah, uh, what you should be aiming for in fact, what I'll just say is go watch one of Joe Gilder's videos or Graham Cochran's videos on this topic because that's what I do and then I just listen to all their advice and then I don't take it. <laughs> but yeah, especially if, you, uh, if you've got the vents on the back, you will want to be a decent level away from the wall because those reflections, any reflective surfaces are, are what's going to cause you issues and any any adjacent, so any parallel surfaces, 90 degrees are not your friend. That's sort of one of the reasons I'm at a bit of an angle here in the studio. So 90 degree surfaces, if you can get away from those, if you can have some sort of soft furnishings and if you can do what I don't do, which is have separate monitor stand stands for your monitor speakers, that helps out as well too. Mine are just plonked on my desk in around about the right spot and uh, yeah, I, I do as I say, not as I do or do as I suggest and go check out some of the pros. I must admit, I use my headphones a lot more than anything. I need to start using my monitor speakers more, especially when I'm mixing and mastering other people's music. But uh, yeah, I just haven't quite got there yet. I, I still rely on my headphones and then only throw the monitors on sort of late in the mix and uh, uh, because I know what they sound like in this space. This space is not treated. It is not uh, it is not going to be the best for listening on monitors. I can adjust based on that. But uh, like I say, do <laughs> do go and uh, go and check in with the pros and find out what they recommend when it comes to speaker placements. Uh, righty dokey, just scrolling on down. We'll see if we have the word questions. Uh, <laughs> Yes, answer, Jay says, answering Pete's question, buy the one that's always sold out, the AT2020. Yeah, it's a good question. Is it actually, is it in stock at the moment? I wonder. Let's, uh, let's have a quick look. Uh, I'm intrigued now to see whether it's actually in stock. Let's go, let's go to studiolifetoday.com slash gear and take a look, shall we? Uh, so if you, have, if you haven't been to the gear guide before, this is uh, what it looks like. I'll just pop Jade away for a moment. This is what it looks like. Up the top here, you've got your links. If you're browsing around and you, and you want to go search, just use those links. That will take you into those places and then you can search and anything you buy will, uh, will help out the channel. If you want to find out specifically what I use, here's my current setup. Uh, for September, need to update that for October. Uh, 
But here's all the different gear that I use. So under microphone, you can see there, there it is, the XLR, the Audio-Technica AT2020. Let's see if Sweetwater have got any stock at the moment. <laughs> Drum roll, please. More on order. I love that it's green and it says more on order. It doesn't say out of stock. It says more on order. That's a nice way of saying. Uh, that's like saying, I'm not overweight. I'm just not thin. <laughs> Uh, righty dokey. Let's uh, let's check Amazon while we're here and see if that has it. Uh, oh yeah. See, whenever you get this with Amazon, it's like available from these sellers. All these different options. Then yeah. So basically not in stock because uh, yeah, you, you'd have an add to cart and you'd have a list there. So you can buy it new and used and refurbished. But yeah, normally it's just in stock for either ninety nine or one hundred nineteen. Looks like yeah, gonna have to pay at least one hundred and thirty clams to pick it up from somewhere. Oh, there you go. So you can get the, uh, well, that one looks nice. The limited edition Chrome version for 134.10. Okay, there you go. Well, maybe I need to buy one of those so I can look all fancy with a Chrome microphone. So it's in stock on, on November 19. Okay, I was about to get excited and go, there, there you go, it's in stock. It's in stock in uh, a month and a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, stock levels. By the way, if you're if you're not aware, if you're buying gear at the moment, stock levels are pretty low. <laughs> so if you're trying to find some things, if you find it in stock, buy it. Uh, you know, I don't normally say things like that, but yeah, if you wait around, like normally, I don't. I hate the whole time pressure thing. I hate <laughs> I hate when you see someone's, especially if it's a digital product. Like, don't get me started on digital products. People are like this course is on sale for for forty seven dollars just for these three days, and you're like, it's a digital course. It's not like it's going out of stock. You're have a warehouse full of files in the back it's digital anyway uh let's not go into let's not uh, let's not raise on that um let's come on down uh jade's got some suggestions around this one i'd update to logic on ipad in a heartbeat if it came to ios uh, it would make my workflow so much easier exporting from GarageBand into aurea yeah i think everyone's pretty pretty pumped and excited to hear if uh we we have logic on the i had, which it sounds like we may do in the future. Uh, I even bought a Steinberg interface. Nice. Recorded vocals in my wardrobe. Yeah, that is, that is one of the best places to record it. You have to send me a copy. Send me your hyperfollow, um, cap, cap salam, and tell me how to pronounce your name and say it. Uh, but yeah, email me, Pete at studiolivetoday.com. Uh, send me your DistroKid hyperfollow and I'll uh, I'll pre-save and, and check out your track. Or, or if it's already out, I'll uh, I'll have it. I'll, uh, I'll have a listen as well. Alrighty, I think uh, <laughs> I want a T-shirt, a Studio Live Today T-shirt. Uh, it's almost like uh, thank you, you're just giving me all of these softballs here at the moment because, of course, if you want to buy your own Studio Live Today merch, you can go to studiolivetoday.com slash merch, and that is where you can find mugs and T-shirts and other gear. Let's see if we've got any other final comments or questions here. Uh, Tom Rochelle, uh, folks are talking about iOS 14. Tom says, still haven't gone iOS 14. And surprisingly, it hasn't nagged me to update. Yeah, it hasn't nagged me either. Uh, Jade says, uh, each to their own. Just find the widgets are ugly and only cater to apps I barely use. Yeah, fair fair call. Um, uh, Jim Sims says, 30 years on a computer. Still have never had my fingers on a PC. Uh, here's the thing. I've never owned a Mac. Yes, Mr. iOS has never owned a Mac. I've used them. I like to go to the Apple Store and play on them back when I could go to the Apple Store. <laughs> Mark knows what I'm talking about. The old Creative Labs, the sound blasters. You'd be like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And you plug your sound card in and it's like, no, nope, conflict, IRQ conflict error. Please, please restart. And you're like, oh, do I have to? Uh, question uh, from Redacted. Uh, question, is iPad Air 3 used for 360 with people care good deal? Oh, used. Okay, so used for 360. <clears throat> um, depend, yeah, it, it's really hard to say is something a good deal because different things are different prices in different parts of the world. eBay is your friend with this, honestly. Uh, it's where I research prices for secondhand gear and it's where I sell stuff. Uh, if you go to eBay and you search for an item and then go completed, you'll see what they've actually sold for. And then if you go in there and see which ones have actually sold, because if you go to eBay, you see people like, you might have some iPad Air 3s for like $4.99 and you're like, oh, I guess iPad Air 3s are $4.99. But if no one's actually selling them at that price, then that's not the actual price. So go to eBay, 
do your search, tick the completed listings box, and then see what people are legitimately. They'll turn green if they've actually sold as opposed to red, and look at those green numbers, find about 10 of the thing that you're looking for, work out what the median price is, then you'll know what a good price is if you see it. That's what I do with all my eBaying and my purchasing and my things. Uh, I think, I think I've covered everything here. We'll just give folks a couple of seconds for any final questions. Uh, yes, thank you, Jade. You can definitely get uh, some Studio Live Today merch if you go to studiolivetoday.com slash merch. Um, a question about video editing from Sion. Where do you get uh, LumaFusion filters from? To be honest, Sion, I don't know because I, don't, I am a very basic LumaFusion user. I have... I have my own presets that I've saved in, which are my different presets for the, the the placement of my iPad screen and my head cam when I'm doing tutorials and a couple of little audio presets for some things. And that's it. I've never actually used, I've never actually downloaded and used any LumaFusion filters. <clears throat> that would be a good question for the LumaFusion users Facebook group. I've been doing a lot of that lately because I get asked a lot of questions and sometimes uh, sometimes I've got the answers and sometimes I've got time to answer. But sometimes people will email me with a question that's like, uh, please answer this seven-part question. I, I expect a response immediately. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I can't really do that. I'm sorry. I know it makes me sound like a bit, uh, a bit entitled, but I just don't have, if I did that for every single person that emailed me, I'd never be able to make videos. So that, what I'll normally say is I'll point them towards one of my videos, or if it's an in-depth thing, I'll point them towards one of the communities like the GarageBand users, like the Create, Record, Release, or the LumaFusion group. So, and that wasn't aimed at you, by the way, Sion. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't reach out and ask me multi-part questions. But yeah, that, that's where I'd go to get that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a balancing act, trying to, trying to help people, because I do want to help people, but at the same time, help the most people in the most uh, efficient way possible. I could just sit here and spend eight hours a day simply answering emails, Instagram questions, Facebook posts, YouTube comments. I don't think that's the best use of my time and I don't think that helps me help the most people. If it's a quick question and I know the answer, sure thing, I'm going to answer it. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a tough one uh, for sure. <clears throat> Alrighty, uh, that is going to do it for today. Um, and, oh, sorry, you said... Uh, the song is not out. Can I send you a link? Yeah, so send me the link. Uh, DistroKid would have given you the hyper follow link. So just send that through to me. Um, or join the Create Record Release group over on Facebook and share with uh, the folks over there. Uh, we've got a great community over there, which is a good segue into uh, finishing off the show. So yes, if you do want more, uh, by the way, if you got some value, we had a good show today, I think. There were some good questions, great questions here live, good questions through the week. Hope you enjoyed the compression deep dive there I did at the start. Hopefully that helps give you a better understanding. And go read the Wikipedia article, honestly. I don't say that about every Wikipedia article, but the one on dynamic range compression, I'll put a link, in fact, in the description straight after the show. Uh, jump over and read that because it's probably a 20-minute read. I think it'll really help you. It'll probably give you if, you, if you're not really comfortable with compression, it'll give you a really good idea of that. Uh, yeah, so if you did get some value, if you enjoyed it, hit the like button. That helps me out. Well, it helps out the channel. It helps out everyone. It makes you feel good and warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? i got to say that. It's a YouTube requirement, but don't ring the bell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I get in trouble from other people that are YouTube people because they're like, you got to tell people to subscribe and ring the bell. And I'm like, they can, they can ring the bell if they want to. It, it feels weird. I don't want to because I don't uh, have notifications on. There you go. I said it. I don't use any notifications because it uh, interrupts my workflow and my vibe. If I'm in the middle of something, as much as I love things, and look, there's a couple, okay, there's a couple of channels. There's a couple of things that I do have notifications on for because I really want to know when something's going on, especially folks that go live. Like the Dean Nimmin, who's a mobile creator, Nick Nimmin, uh, Roberto Blake. There's a few people that when they're live, I got to know about it. So yeah, I guess if, if that is if that is you, then turn on notifications. But I, I, won't, I won't judge you if you don't, because I certainly don't for a lot of different channels. Anyway, that's a really bad promotional outro, Pete. <laughs> Head over to studiolivetoday.com if you do want to check out all the ways that you can interact with the channel. Uh, go over to Facebook and join Create, Record, Release. That's our uh, official Facebook community. More than 500 members members over there. We ticked over in the last week, 500 members, and uh, you can join in the fun and chat with other community members there. I will be back in how many hours? Four hours for uh, today's happy hour, Canadian edition. So we'll be doing some of the best and greatest Canadian songs, Canadian artists from throughout the years. So that should be a whole lot of Fun. I should have got some Canadian beer. Maybe I need to get to the shops and get some Canadian beer. Can I do it in time? Probably not. Bad planning, Pete. Bad planning. All right. 
Thanks for every thanks everyone for being here. Hope you had a good time. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll see you real soon. And uh, please be kind to yourselves, be kind to others, and keep creating rock on.